according to Wikipedia, the Copyright Term Extension Act, known as CTEA, passed into law in 1998, extended copyright terms in the United States. Following the Copyright Act of 1976, copyright would last for the life of the author plus 50 years, or 75 years for work of corporate authorship. The 1998 Act, also known as the Sonny Bono Copyright Term Extension Act, or the Sonny Bono Act, or the Mickey Mouse Production Act, extended these terms to the life of the author plus 70 years, and for works of corporate authorship to 120 years after creation, or 95 years after publication, whichever end earlier. It effectively froze the advancement date of the public domain in the United States for works covered by the older fixed-term copyright rules. Under this act, works made in 1923 or afterwards that were still protected by copyright in 1998 would not enter the public domain until January 1st, 2019 or later. Stopping by Woods on a Snowy Evening by Robert Frost Whose woods these are, I think I know. His house is in the village, though. He will not see me stopping here to watch his woods fill up with snow. My little horse must think it queer to stop without a farmhouse near between the woods and frozen lake the darkest evening of the year. He gives his harness bells a shake to ask if there is some mistake. The only other sounds, the sweep of easy wind and downy flake. The woods are lovely, dark and deep, but I have promises to keep. And miles to go before I sleep. And miles to go before I sleep.
Charles Stevens. Tea at the Palace of Hoon. Not less because in purple I descended the western day through what you called the loneliest air, not less was I myself. What was the ointment sprinkled on my beard? What were the hymns that buzzed beside my ears? What was the sea whose tide swept through me there? Out of my mind the golden ointment rained, and my ears made the blowing hymns they heard. I was myself the compass of that sea. I was the world in which I walked, and what I saw or heard or felt came not but from myself, and there I found myself more truly and more strange.
And this is a story from The Desert Sun, published uh, December 29th, 2017. The headline, Sonny Bono, 20 years later, his last ski run feels as if it was yesterday. 20 years ago this week, Sonny Bono went missing. In Washington, D.C., he was the Honorable Sonny Bono, Republican member of the House of Representatives for California's 44th District. But to everyone else, he was Sonny. He and his fourth wife, Mary, often went skiing around Lake Tahoe. Sonny had grown close to the late Bill Harra, owner of the Harrow's Hotel and Casinos, when he and Cher were TV's biggest musical stars of the 1970s. Harrah's Lake Tahoe was like a second home to him. So Sonny and Mary went skiing with some friends to usher in 1998. Sonny, age 62, could tear up the intermediate ski runs. He had back problems and had been taking the painkiller Vicodin since a 1995 surgery to remove the growth on his fifth and sixth cervical vertebrae. But it didn't restrict his mobility. He didn't wear a helmet, but a skiing accident six days earlier resulting in the death of Michael Kennedy, son of Robert Kennedy, had prompted Sonny and Mary to discuss helmets. Sonny said he'd get one before their next ski trip. Around midday, the family prepared to ski down the Orion Slope. Sonny took off with a big smile on his face. Chess, follow me, he called to his son. Chess took off, but his ski caught an edge, causing him to spin around and impact Gianna. Mary tended to the children, but then Sonny was gone. Mary and the kids skied to the first stop area, but Sonny wasn't there. They began looking for him with more curiosity than panic. But that changed as the day wore on. Mary Bono recalled the events leading to the discovery of Sonny's body three days after he went missing. At first, she assumed Sonny had been skiing so fast he just zoomed by the first rest area. We skied to the bottom and he wasn't anywhere. I was wondering if he fell, or if he went to the right and I went to the left, if he went down to a different chair. You know, all these things can happen. After 30 minutes, the family was uneasy. They asked the ski patrol if there had been any accidents on Orion Slope. None reported, they were told. They waited a little longer, but then Mary and the kids felt compelled to look for him. They took the ski lift up the hill, scanning the slopes along the way. They looked as far as their eyes could see from the top of the mountain, but saw nothing, so they went back down. Then they went back up. They went down the mountain, all the way down, and he wasn't there. They went to guest services at 4 p.m. and were told he must have gone to the wrong lodge. He must have gone to the California side of Lake Tahoe. Mary said Sonny knew the mountain too well. He wouldn't have done that. At 4.30, the ski patrol listed him as missing. Then they began calling the buses, hoping against long odds he might have gone so far astray he needed a ride back to the correct lodge. Mary called friends and continued talking to members of the ski patrol. One officer said, it doesn't look good. After 6 p.m., the sheriff and president of the ski resort told Mary they had found a body. Sonny had collided with a tree. And with the force of the collision, Mary learned later, he probably would have been left brain dead even if he had been wearing a helmet. 
Mary begged them to let her go to the scene of the accident. They put her in a snowmobile and she trudged up the mountain one more time. It was the longest snowmobile ride, she told me through tears, but I never wanted it to end. The minute I got there, I saw his feet and his legs and I knew it was him. Stevens' biographical facts. He was born on October 2nd, 1879, at 323 North 5th Street in Reading, Pennsylvania. Wallace's mother read to him from the Bible every night. She sat at the piano on Sunday evenings to play and sing hymns. He attended kindergarten in 1884. He attended Sunday school at the First Presbyterian Church, where his mother was an active member of the congregation. Reading Boys School in 1892, studied Latin, Greek, English classics, grammar and composition, geography, Greek history, algebra, and arithmetic. He played poker. He played football. He was left back when he failed to earn a minimum passing grade. He worked on the school newspaper dots and dashes. He went to Harvard University. He developed an interest in Chinese and Japanese art. In 1936, Wallace Stevens provoked a drunken fight with Ernest Hemingway while in Key West in February. He broke his right hand in two places from hitting Hemingway's jaw and was knocked down. The two writers made up before Stevens left. The Snowman One must have a mind of winter to regard the frost and the boughs of the pine trees crusted with snow and had been cold a long time to behold the junipers shagged with ice, the spruces rough 
in the distant glitter of the January sun, and not to think of any misery in the sound of the wind, in the sound of a few leaves, which is the sound of the land full of the same wind that is blowing in the same bare place for the listener who listens in the snow and nothing himself beholds nothing that is not there and the nothing that is. Wagmans, 
And you had better, old bear. Better get ready for judgment. You better get ready for judgment morning. You better get ready for judgment. My God is coming down. The gambler, the drunkard, the liar, and that adulterous too. Well, all these false pretenders and all them hypocrites too. Better get ready for judgment. I better get ready for judgment morning. You better get ready for judgment. My God, it's coming down. When Jesus gets tired pleading, and he won't plead no more, he'll call the world together. He'll judge the young and new. Better get ready for judgment. Oh, better get ready for judgment morning. You better get ready for judgment. My God is coming down. Well, you better get ready for judgment. Oh, you better get ready for judgment morning. You better get ready for judgment. My God is coming down. Amen. Sunday morning, one, complacencies of the peignoir, and late coffee and oranges in a sunny chair, and the green freedom of a cockatoo upon a rug mingle to dissipate the holy hush of ancient sacrifice. She dreams a little, and she feels the dark encroachment of that old catastrophe as a calm darkens among water lights. The pungent oranges and bright green wings seem things in some procession of the dead, winding across wide water without a sound. The day is like wide water without a sound. Stilled for the passing of her dreaming feet over the seas to silent Palestine, dominion of the blood and sepulchre. Why should she give her bounty to the dead? What is divinity if it can come only in silent shadows and in dreams? Shall she not find in comforts of the sun, in pungent fruit and bright green wings, or else in any balm or beauty of the earth, things to be cherished like the thought of heaven? Divinity must live within herself, passions of rain or moods in falling snow, grievings in loneliness or unsubdued elations when the forest blooms, gusty emotions on wet roads on autumn nights. All pleasures and all pains, remembering the bow of summer 
and the winter branch. These are the measures destined for her soul. Three. Jove in the clouds had his inhuman birth. No mother suckled him. No sweet land gave large-mannered motions to his mythy mind. He moved among us as a muttering king, magnificent, would move among his hinds, until our blood, commingling, virginal with heaven, brought such requital to desire, the very hinds discerned it in a star. Shall our blood fail, or shall it come to be the blood of paradise? And shall the earth seem all of paradise that we shall know? The sky will be much friendlier then than now. A part of labor and a part of pain, and next in glory to enduring love, not this dividing and indifferent blue. She says, I am content when wakened birds before they fly test the reality of misty fields by their sweet questionings. But when the birds are gone and their warm fields return no more, where then is paradise? There is not any haunt of prophecy nor any old chimera of the grave, neither the golden underground, nor isle melodious, where spirits gat them home, nor visionary south, nor cloudy palm remote on heaven's hill, that has endured as April's green endures, or will endure like her remembrance of awakened birds, or her desire for June and evening tipped by the consummation of the swallow's wings. Five. She says, but in contentment I still feel the need of some imperishable bliss. Death is the mother of beauty. Hence from her alone shall come fulfillment to our dreams and our desires. Although she strews the leaves of sure obliteration on our paths, the path sick sorrow took, the many paths where triumph rang its brassy phrase, or love whispered a little out of tenderness, she makes the willows shiver in the sun for maidens who were wont to sit and gaze upon the grass, relinquished to their feet. She causes boys to pile new plums and pears on disregarded plate. The maidens taste and stray impassioned in the littering leaves. Six. Is there no change of death in paradise? Does ripe fruit never fall? Or do the boughs hang always heavy in that perfect sky, unchanging, yet so like our perishing earth 
with rivers like our own that seek for seas they never find, the same receding shores that never touch with inarticulate pang. Why set the pair upon those river banks, or spice the shores with odors of the plum? Alas, that they should wear our colors there, the silken weavings of our afternoons, and pick the strings of our insipid lutes. Death is the mother of beauty, mystical, within whose burning bosom we devise our earthly mothers waiting sleeplessly. Seven. Supple and turbulent, a ring of men shall chant in orgy on a summer morn their boisterous devotion to the sun, not as a god, but as a god might be, naked among them like a savage source. Their chant shall be a chant of paradise, out of their blood, returning to the sky, and in their chant shall enter, voice by voice, the windy lake wherein their lord delights, the trees like seraphim and echoing hills that choir among themselves long afterward. They shall know well the heavenly fellowship of men that perish and of summer morn, and whence they came and whither they shall go, the dew upon their feet shall manifest. Eight. She hears upon that water without sound a voice that cries. The tomb in Palestine is not the porch of spirits lingering. It is the grave of Jesus where he lay. We live in an old chaos of the sun, or old dependency of day and night, or island solitude, unsponsored, free of that wide water, inescapable. Deer walk upon our mountains, and the quail whistle about us their spontaneous cries. Sweet berries ripen in the wilderness, and in the isolation of the sky, at evening, casual flocks of pigeons make ambiguous undulations as they sink downward to darkness on extended wings.
13 ways of looking at a black bird. Among 20 snowy mountains, the only moving thing was the eye of the black bird. I was of three minds, like a tree in which there are three blackbirds. The blackbird world in the autumn winds, it was a small part of the pantomime. A man and a woman are one. A man and a woman and a blackbird are one. I do not know which to prefer, the beauty of inflections or the beauty of innuendos, the blackbird whistling or just after. Icicles filled the long window with barbaric glass. The shadow of the blackbird crossed it to and fro. The mood traced in the shadow an indecipherable cause. O oh, thin man of Adam, why do you imagine golden birds? Do you not see how the blackbird walks around the feet of the women about you? I know noble accents and lucid, inescapable rhythms, but I know too that the blackbird is involved in what I know. When the blackbird flew out of sight, it marked the edge of one of many circles.
listening to the Ezra Rama podcast, episode number one, Public Domain, featuring poems now in the public domain as of January 2019, including Stopping by Woods on a Snowy Evening by Robert Frost, and a set of poems by Wallace Stevens, Tea at the Palace of Hoon, The Snowman, Sunday Morning, and 13 Ways of Looking at a Black also heard music featured on the show, including Russian Snow Camo by Drake Stafford, Snowdrop by Kevin McLeod, Snow Ticket by PC3, Little Man by Sonny and Cher, The Sifle Branches by Axletree, Snowman by Kai Engel, String Society by Jim Esch, Judgment by Sister Mary Nelson, from the Anthology of American Folk Music, produced by Harry Smith, and Snowfall by Steinbrook. Shorama Podcast is a free-form narrative radio project written and produced by Jim Esch, and it can be found at eshorama.com. Thanks for listening.